Philanthropy is all about giving to causes that matter to you the most, and by doing so, making a difference in the lives of others. But is this an activity that is reserved just for the super wealthy? Or is it possible for the average person to become a philanthropist? What cause tugs at your heart that you wish you could provide funding for? Is there a way, right now, to live your dream with purpose? These are the glaring questions this podcast will explore as we meet everyday people who are stepping up to begin living their philanthropic lifestyle. We'll hear about their cause, why it's important to them, as well as their vision for the future. So let's get inspired, motivated, and learn how we can step into the dream of living our best life with purpose. My name is Nancy Landa. Welcome to Cause Talk Radio. My guest on today's show is Derek Tells. Derek is a fully trained chef and has owned his own restaurant and contract catering business. He has had a property portfolio and his own jewelry shop for bespoke design jewels and wedding rings. Derek has survived two heart attacks due to his own lack of knowledge of proper nutrition. His own experiences has fueled his desire to advocate for proper nutrition to not only prevent disease, but also allow the body to the ability to reverse what's wrong. Derek is passionate about helping children with cancer after losing his first love to leukemia at the age of 13. Welcome to the show, Derek. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Now, what was life like for you growing up as a young child? Okay, it was very free and easy compared to nowadays. I was, I was born in Kenya, in Nairobi, Kenya, okay. um, and I lived there till the age of 11. Um, my life was very, very carefree. We used to go, I used to cycle at the age of eight and nine, like almost 20 miles to go and visit friends without any cares. My parents wouldn't worry about it. And it was so different from today where we protect our children from, you know, things and uh it now, just, were you an only child? Bizarre. I was actually one of uh, three uh, at the time, and then my mother had another two, so it was five of us all together. I was the oldest. Okay. All right. So you're the bossy one. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could say that. <laughs> so who had the biggest influence on you as a kid, and why? Um, I suppose my mom. I used to spend a lot of time with my mother, and she... She had her own catering business. Um, so at the age of uh, five and six, I was already involved in the in the catering business, uh, which inspired me to go for a career in catering. But uh, she 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 loved teaching me things, and I was one who paid attention. I used to then experiment uh, on my sisters when my mom and dad were out. <laughs> and <laughs> I give love them it. Various things, yeah, yeah. So now, uh, yeah, that's big influence. Okay, so when you were a teenager, what did you? think you were going to be doing life um I hadn't really thought about it much my parents had my my father was a financial director uh for Volvo in East Africa so he had a quite a high position he taught me a lot of things that I learned consequently as I grew up about wealth and how to keep it and how to maintain it and and all the secrets that that the wealthy seem to to share with people when when you ask um, so I suppose he had an influence on me thinking about my career. So initially I went to boarding school in England and uh, having completed boarding school, I decided I didn't want to be a burden on my parents and their and their money um, because they were quite well off. I thought I wanted to go it alone. So I actually applied for a job that was for a, a graduate uh, trainee in a company called Trust Size 40. And um, I wasn't a graduate because I never went to university, but they took me on anyway. So that was my first job as a as a trainee hotel manager. 
So how did you transition into being a chef and owning your own restaurant? Well, while, well, well, uh, while, while, while I was working with Trust House 40, I, I, I found I loved being in the kitchen with the chefs, but I didn't know very much. So I said to one of the directors one day, I think that managers ought to know a bit more about cooking because the chefs can just pull the wool over their eyes. So I asked them <laughs> to send me to college. <laughs> so they sent me part-time to college in London for, for about three three years um, to complete my chef's uh, course, which was called then the 706 1 and 2. And it was great fun. I really enjoyed it. So that's how it happened, really. So I, I sort of went from that. I was earning very good money, and I, di- I then decided – I couldn't stay where I was in the rented accommodation I was in London. It was very expensive because uh, to become a chef, I had to start at the bottom again. So I went back to live with my uh, my godmother and my aunt who looked after me. Oh, wow. So what would you say has been your greatest struggle? Greatest struggle? Um, I suppose it, it's been – I think all my life I've had this dilemma. I've always wanted to help people and um, – I've had a dilemma early, early on in my life, in my, in my catering life, everything. I decided to look for alternative ways to, to, to earn income. And I, and I started quite a few projects. Um, when I used to travel back to Kenya, for example, I'd take all the latest music. Uh, we'd have a, uh, you know, like parties in Kenya where I'd, I'd, I'd invite people and charge ticket prices at various places. And then at the end of it, I would actually sell off all the music. So I'd come back with, with you know, less weight. And, and more money. So I always always have been a bit of an entrepreneur. So uh, yeah, that that that's the struggle has been as I came into understanding businesses and, and online businesses, etc. Understanding how or the dilemma, if you like, is where I did very well because I'm I'm a good networker. I, I like to talk to people, mm-hmm. and uh, consequently, I was able to draw a lot of people into what I was whatever I was doing. But I felt that because they lacked in that department sometimes, that uh, they struggled with actually making anything out of it, whereas I, I succeeded. And I found that a bit of a, an unfair thing. Kind of frustration. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Now, tell me about the time you first learned the cancer diagnosis of your first love. Um, yeah, I was, I was actually on, on holiday in Kenya at the time. And uh, her parents, uh, on purpose, or, or they didn't want me to know, but they had flown over to London and I was in Kenya. And uh, I, I didn't realize, I kept asking, you know, the relatives, et cetera, where she was. Um, and and they, they, they would evade the question, but eventually I did find out. And what was sad about it is that when I found out, when I went back to, to the United Kingdom, um, She'd passed away already, so I wasn't oh. there um, to see her or, or even experience. And, and the thing is, I only saw her, I suppose, every every time I went on holiday. So it was a bit of a difficult situation, anyway. And you were uh, young. How old were you? I was very young. I was only about oh, let me think, probably about twelve, thirteen myself. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so you never had a chance off. to say goodbye or anything? No, no, not at all. No, no. Oh. I'm so sorry. Yeah, and I never, I never even went to the funeral because that then went back to Kenya. Um, so I was now in England. <laughs> so yeah. I, I missed it all, really. And, yeah. and I, I never, I never even, you know, got in touch with her parents again after that. It was quite stressful. The whole thing. Yeah. 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 
Well, let's talk about your cause, Children with uh-huh. Childhood Cancer UK. Yeah. How does a child's cancer diagnosis affect a community? Um, well, it's quite traumatic, really, isn't it? Because it's it's the parents and, and everyone connected with that child. And it's it always seems to be far worse when it's a child. Yeah. Um, but I've met many, many, many brave children also who have actually had cancer and actually helped their parents uh, with the struggle to understand and uh, I constantly get told that these are these are little angels, really. Yes. They're here for a short period, but they're, they're here to, to pass a message on to us, and, and that's comforting. You know, yeah, that's, they make an impact, for sure. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. And they tend to be very bright, very, uh, very, very almost grown-up children, even though they're not grown-up, grown-up yeah. in thought. Yeah, yeah. Right. Now, you have a very specific events that you want to fund with your cause. Can you please explain what those events are? Uh, sorry, the events uh, such as? Christmas. Christmas, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I want to, to fund events. Uh, yeah, definitely. I want, to, I want to be able to help a lot of people, um, you know, achieve things they need to achieve in their lives, and, and that's what I want to try and do. So what is the Christmas? I, I, I take it it's like a Christmas party. You have it in two different locations. What does that entail? Um, yeah, Christmas. Sorry, I'm, I'm a bit confused now. I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> have you read your cause? It's been a while. Yeah, no, I, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to help uh, the children with cancer have special events at Christmas. And uh, that entails, uh, you know, involving them in, in things that they want to, to achieve or go to or places they want to go. It's like a, a dream come true sort of thing. Oh, okay. So that's be similar to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So what do you envision these events will accomplish? Um, well, it just make it, it makes it a lot easier for people to, to deal with things. The parents can go with them as well and... I'd like to be able to fund things where where everyone is involved. Um, I'm currently volunteering, well, volunteering chef at, at, a, at a, a unit that helps people with uh, uh, mental health issues. And it's also a, a unit that um, helps people with end of days. And uh, it's, it's similar in some ways, but with children, it's far more uh, distressing. So to, to get people to actually be able to have a good time and also to remember to take back memories of good times they've had together is, is very important, I think, uh, rather than concentrate on the illness itself. Does I, I'm just guessing here, and mm-hmm. forgive me, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth or anything, yeah. but I, I imagine that this will help raise awareness as well of what the families and the communities go through when a child is stricken with cancer. Oh, definitely. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, because at the moment, uh, there are a lot of children that go through this and parents and families that go through this. And I think that's an important factor to raise awareness. Um, And also that, you know, as far as I can tell, that that there is also some evidence of um, dealing with it. And and I wouldn't say cure, but a way of actually maybe helping some to to actually come through it in a positive way and, and actually survive the cancer. Right. So that's beginning to happen. And I think the more money that's applied into that also, the research side is, is important. 
Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's not just the child that needs covering. Those families need support and comfort as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and then sometimes, you know, for some time after as well, um, depending where you are in the world, of course, there are different costs to be met. And I'd like to be able to, you know, have an organization that helps that, you know, with that, you know, helping meet the costs and not having them worry about those sort of things. So what, what amount of funding is needed to fulfill your cause just to the end of the year? Because you're talking about Christmas. And yeah. what will those funds be used for specifically? Um, well, it, it's a question of really, uh, it's setting up some sort of a charity, I suppose, along with the charity that already exists. But I'm thinking more one that actually is like Make-A-Wish mm-hmm. and, and pick specific people and, and, and to help them achieve that goal of, of doing something that they wanted to do. So it's so kind it's of like sponsoring those kids. Yeah, it's a bit different, difficult to, to, to quantify. But, you know, uh, I'm not sort of putting a, a, a minimum or maximum, but I'd like to have, you know, we're talking about a good few, of, uh, at least half a million. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And who will select the kids that will be recipients of that? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not sure how it'll work, having never done something like this before. I have actually been involved in giving to a lot of these types of organisations, but I'd like to involve other people, maybe maybe people who've been through it in the first place. You know, I'd like to maybe not necessarily take the responsibility myself, but maybe pick um, families who've been through it already, and then they could actually maybe decide or, or, or we could have a list and then go, you know, literally go through the list. And, and it depends also how far down the line we are with each child and what, what you know, what right, right. care they need. Because sometimes if you're going to fly off to Disneyland or something, they might not necessarily be able to because of their condition. Right. Yeah. yeah. I imagine that's, that was going to be the hardest part is, you know, choosing mm. Yes, which I child? I think it would. Yeah, it'd be good to have no, no, no choosing. <laughs> right, right. Be able to choose all of them. <laughs> yes, that's right. Maybe we could start lots and lots of uh, little, little charities all over the world. That'd be the way to do it. So now, once you've fulfilled funding for these events, what's mm-hmm. next? What's next? I don't know. I, I just, I just like helping, and and, and I, I enjoy it, and. Uh, that's something I've always done. I've paid it forward in many, many ways and in, in, in all through my life. Uh, sometimes it's been to my detriment. So I'm always looking for things and, and help uh, ways of helping, help, uh, helping people who need the help, if you like. So I don't, have, I don't ever have a situation where I'm lost for what to do. <laughs> right, right. You may end up doing a, a make-a-wish thing for yeah, one there, child there is month. Another or... thing also. Yeah, that one, of, one of the people I've recently met, has uh, got a project going already, and and I love it. And it's a project for, uh, it's it's in New Zealand currently. It's a project for disadvantaged families um, to be able to get housing, and this is eco housing as well. So mm-hmm. the the project's fantastic because these people are going to be able to uh, rent initially the the houses at uh, maybe two thirds less than what they'd normally pay, and that rent would go towards their eventual purchase of the property. So this right. is for disadvantaged and uh, you know people with issues and people are going through rehab and things like that so that would be something maybe of interest you have a really big heart so i I, i'm guessing you have more than one cause like me (laughs) well yes i think they they start mounting up then they they do they do yeah but i think that would be 
cool to continue with your children's cancer fund mm, mm, where yeah, you're doing yeah. maybe a couple of kids a month yeah and fulfilling yeah, their wishes rather than waiting yes, till christmas be, yeah yeah that would be brilliant yeah just just have a rolling month yeah every there month and go. increase it as you increase your funds three a month four a month five a month exactly and then have a goal have a goal to do so many a month yeah that'd be a good idea so derek out of all the possible places for funding available today why did you mm-hmm. choose up to give to fund your cause well, I just couldn't believe how ethical the whole thing was. You know, I, I initially joined, and, and this is really funny, I initially joined in November when the when the company was just getting going and the, everything was just in, in, in the new format and everything. And I didn't really look at it till March. I was a consultant chef to three restaurants. And um, uh, in March, in fact, it was the day before my 60th birthday, 23rd of March, I was told I have no, no more contract because of corona. So mm-hmm. I then thought, wow, I've lost a big chunk of money. I need to start looking at something. So I contacted my friend Colin, who introduced me to UpGive. And I always know that with Colin, whatever I join, it always works. So I, I joined and paid the registration and just kept on paying it. Yeah. But in, in March, I looked at it in more detail. And wow, you know, I just couldn't believe it when I really I thought this is too good to be true. I can't believe that. You know, the way the giving box works in, in the sense that the philanthropic side of it is all owned by the community and not by the company. And the way the contributions come through for people's causes. I've, I've helped hundreds. Of, I've, I've got within that very short time, I, I think we're nearly at 300 now wow. in our team. So from that point of view, I feel very, very blessed. What is your favorite part of Up to Give? Favorite? Ooh, meeting the people, I suppose, and and, and, and and making a difference. I paid it forward with quite a few people where I knew they couldn't actually even afford to register. And and, and, and things have happened and people have had, reg- I mean, people have had uh, small amounts of contribution, but it's made such a difference that, you yes. know, some people have even cried, you know. Yes. It's yes. just amazing to be able to do that for people. And everybody has a cause. Yeah, definitely. Everybody. Definitely. And the causes can be very, very small. My brother contact. My brother's never ever, ever been involved with me in anything ever in the whole of my life. Um, but he called me up again just shortly after my birthday, I think, to wish me a happy birthday. And uh, he said, uh, Derek, I've lost my job and I'm in Kenya and we don't have any benefit system out here. I need help with my rent or I'm going to be thrown out. So I introduced him to up to, up to give and, uh, you know, just being just a few things like the positive mindset and the, and the educational program, et cetera, has, yeah. has, has made him think differently. So he's actually before even the contributions come up, he's been able to think about things that he can do to, to, to make money. And, and he's done it, you know, and that's fantastic that that's had that impact on him. Oh, that's a wonderful story. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to be able to impact those that you're closest to. Yes, in your family, your friends. Definitely. And, and now he's joined his wife up as well. So she's keen and she's got her own business as well. So again, you know, it, 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 it's, uh, it's spreading. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, Derek, it has been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to be here with me. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? Only that really, um, you know, with, with, with up to give, all I can say is that you don't have to try hard. And, and people really ought to um, say very little when they're inviting them to see a presentation. Don't try and understand it. And, and like Richard Branson said, if you see a good opportunity, jump on board and learn on the way. 
you know, and that's yep. what I always say to people. Yeah. Now, was Bitcoin a... How, were you familiar with Bitcoin when you first... Uh, fortunately for me, yes, I was. I had been investing in, in Bitcoin and, and made a made a few grand in it. Yes, yes. I had been awesome. involved a bit earlier. Yeah. So I did understand the processes. Although I must admit, I think probably about 80 to 90% of the people in my team uh, did not have any understanding of Bitcoin. So we do regular trainings. We actually explain to them. And the easiest way to say it really is, you know, I used to deal with gold as well when I had my jewelry shop. Right. So um, I say to people, look, gold is tangible. Gold is hard. Um, you can see it. You can touch it. It's on the stock market. It moves in price. Now, all that Bitcoin is, if you like, is a digital gold. So it moves up and down as well. And all you've right. got to say to yourself is you can't see it. You know, it's on, online. And Easy to carry it with you stuff. everywhere. <laughs> yes, that's heavy. Right. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, true. Now, would you be willing to come back on the show in a few months and provide an update on how your cause is doing? Oh, definitely. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Me too. Well, folks, if Derek has inspired you today and you'd like to either contribute any amount to his cause or maybe you'd like to start your very own cause, listen carefully when the music starts so you know exactly what to do. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and were inspired by the content that was presented. Don't forget to click the subscribe button so you'll be notified as soon as new episodes are available. For more information about anything on today's show, head on over to causetalkradio.com. Click on the podcast link where you'll find all the information covered on today's podcast, including links for easy navigation.